Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong. Radiant. Timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome, Ridiculous Historians. As always, thank you for tuning in. Uh, today's, today's episode has one of my favorite descriptions of someone's profession. Spoiler. Hi, I'm Ben. Hey, Ben. I'm Noel. Are you talking about uh, Donald Crowhurst being I, British? I, I am talking about Donald Crowhurst uh, being, being British. Uh, he is... An iconic person, uh, similar, of course, uh, in some ways, uh, at least just through their iconicism, to our super producer, Casey Pegram. You're right, Noel. Donald Crowhurst, uh, the protagonist of one of the weirdest stories of his day back in the late 60s. Here's the description I like about him. So he is, as you said, British, right? He was <laughs> in, uh, in The Guardian which is itself a British publication. And uh, like many British publications, it's famous for its its kind of subdued snarkiness. They sum Donald Crowhurst up this way. They say he is occasionally described as a businessman. Okay. I was talking about the second part of that quote, but that is the, the more snark. But you're right. It's so subdued that it almost takes you a double take to kind of figure out which part is a diss. The second part uh, uh, struck me as a bit of a, of a, a low-key diss as well. Um, Donald Crowhurst was British but really an orphan of the empire. Uh, and this notion came from the fact that he was actually born in India uh, when it was under the rule of the British Raj in 1932. And uh, his father was a superintendent of the railways. Um, so he kind of grew up in that uh, very interesting and very problematic time in British history in terms of the way people who were born in India were treated, um, natives, you know, Indian people, um, and also the uh, bureaucracy and the kind of rapaciousness of the way the British Empire treated India as a surrogate and as basically just another place to, you know, strip riches from um, come hell or high water. 
Mm-hmm. It was considered the crown of the British Empire, and uh, terrible, terrible things occurred there uh, that are are the UK's fault. Before we go on, I got to mention, I don't know, uh, Casey Noel, I don't know whether this ever happens to you or you listening along with us, ridiculous historians, but you know how you get songs stuck in your head sometimes, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think you have one stuck in your head right now. Uh-huh. I'll give him a pass it on to the crowd. Right. Uh, Getting Jiggy With It by Will Smith. Let us know what that sample is. We think it's probably a Stevie Wonder song. And uh, sometimes, in addition to songs, I get words or phrases stuck in my head. And uh, Bungalow has been in my head uh, for, for a lot of this week. Interesting. You know, I've had a very similar sort of, you could say, sister word stuck in my head for the last few weeks. Chalet. Right. Okay. I like it. So bungalow, oddly enough, uh, comes from uh, Hindi and it comes, it's a type of cottage that was built for early European settlers slash invaders in Bengal, India. So did Crowhurst live in a bungalow? I don't know. I'm just looking for excuses to say bungalow on air. Anyway, bungalow, 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 back to Crowhurst. So in 1947, India declared independence, and the family was able to take some of what they had saved and scrimped uh, together. Because they, no, they weren't wealthy. They weren't. No, they weren't. Again, he was a he was a bureaucrat, but not like a high level one. Right? Um, he was a superintendent, which would essentially be like a supervisor, like a mid management kind of position, wouldn't you say, Ben? Yeah, yeah, maybe a little higher than that, but still in the grand scheme of British bureaucracy, uh, but a cog in the machine. They weren't nobility. And usually to have a a very high level position in the way that that society functioned, you would have been nobility. One thousand percent. So they took those meager savings and they hoofed it back to England. Um, but th- they were not greeted with with a particularly warm welcome when they got to Reading, uh, in particular in the suburbs of Reading. We have to remember that London is a sprawling metropolis um, with all kinds of suburban areas and uh, different townships and and villages and entire cities within cities, essentially. So they um, had kind of a rude awakening. Uh, they were they were expecting to come home to some kind of more peaceful, idyllic existence in in their what would essentially be considered their home country, but the climate was terrible. Um, money was was very hard to come by. And uh, Crowhurst, uh, the father, uh, senior, pretty quickly just dropped dead of a heart attack. Uh, really almost like a torments of the damned kind of situation for young Crowhurst. And it's a it's a huge change for his father, you know, to move from India to this completely different place, which may have seemed unfamiliar uh, or, or strange because he had spent so much time in India. So it turns out that Charles Dickens, while he wrote fiction, was basing it on uh, some fairly common situations in the United Kingdom in Britain. Uh, Donald had to leave school early, just like a Dickens character, and get a job. So he became an apprentice at the RAE, the Royal Aircraft Establishment. He was broke. He was ambitious. He was like Eminem in the beginning of 8 Mile or like Alexander Hamilton in the beginning of Hamilton. He said, I'm going to make something of myself. I'm going to do better. I will not accept this life that has been thrust upon me. And so he uh, he gets a commission from Royal Air Force, goes to the Army. But then he goes out and he parties. I imagine some drinks were had. And uh, 
he steals a car <laughs> and he has to resign. I mean, he had to get home somehow. Yeah, it's true. Um, he he got he got pinched for it and had to appear before the magistrates there in Reading. Um, and he, you know, it didn't totally derail his life, but it, it certainly was a was a black mark on his record. Um, and uh, his carefree days were were to be put behind him. Um, he did grow up a bit. Uh, he married. Um, shortly after, a lovely lady by the name of Claire O'Leary, uh, who was a, a Protestant um, from Killarney uh, in Ireland. Um, she was an Anglo-Irish Protestant. Um, and uh, that is where he actually started his own business, uh, a small computer business. What's that? Uh, computers, electron utilization uh, limited. Utilization, excuse me, but it's spelled weird. There should, wouldn't there be a Z? It's spelled the British way. Ah, there you go, Ben. There you go. Electron utilization, LTD. And uh, he basically invented uh, a computer. He invented a lot of stuff, right? But because he was he was one of those guys who's always messing around with something in his workshop, he created a radio direction finding device called the Navigator with a C. And now it's, uh, according to the Guardian, it's pretty common for a lot of weekend sailors. And he thought this would make his fortune, and that he and Claire would, uh, you know, be living the high life, never have to work again. But that money didn't come as as quickly as he had hoped. And so it came to pass that when the Sunday Times announced their Golden Globe race with uh, 5,000 pounds as the, as the prize, that's about 65,000 pounds today, uh, he thought, Crowhurst, that is, thought this would be the perfect way to stave off bankruptcy, at least until the sales of his Navigator took off. I think his first problem is with the name because I'm going to – every time I hear you say Navigator, I want to correct you and say it's pronounced Navigator, Ben, or whomever. I feel like uh, people pronouncing it this way would be, would be you know, immediately not taken seriously. Uh, but uh, it was a clever invention and very ahead of its time. But perhaps the need wasn't there or the demand wasn't quite there or the marketing was lacking, right? Mm-hmm. So the – Golden Globe race, which has nothing to do with the Golden Globe Awards, so far as we know, uh, does have does have some background. So it's a round the world yacht race. And in 1967, the year before this this race began, a guy named Francis Chichester. What do you think, Noel? Chichester? Chichester. 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 Uh, this guy, Francis, we'll call him Francis, he had sailed his boat, problematically named the Gypsy Moth with an I, into Plymouth. Oh, Gypsy Moth is a real is a real moth. Yeah, yeah. Well, is it, is it spelled G-I-P-S-Y? I don't know. Well, you're it, not supposed to say Gypsy anyway. Well, but it's. I think it's a species of moth, though. Yeah, I believe you. I just don't think, you know, there's probably a better name for it at this point. Oh, wait a second. Hold on. No, the main thing that comes up is the name of that ship, Ben, spelled with a G-I. Uh, the, the, uh, you're right, Ben. You're right. The uh, actual moth, which is a, a species of Lymantria dispar, is pronounced or spelled G-Y-P-S-Y. Uh, so when you spell it with that I, that makes it not nice. Well, uh, it's not nice either way. Yeah, but, you know, if at least at least one of them is a science. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I see what you're saying. But, so... 
when this guy Francis, when he is sailed into Plymouth, there's a media frenzy. Everybody welcomes him. The queen knights him. Uh, and the idea is that, you know, think about, you know, late 1960s. The idea is that, sure, people across the pond in the U.S. might be exploring space, but here on Earth, the British are still ruling the waves, empire or no. And so, of course, the media says, like, okay, we have this we can understand when there's a trend here, there's an opportunity. And Francis's book about his journey, The Lonely Sea in the Sky, becomes a bestseller. And so it comes to pass that during spring of 1968, the Sunday Times launches their own challenge in direct competition with the Observer's existing transatlantic race. And the Sunday Times challenge is called the Golden Globe Around the World Yacht Race. So this was supposed to be uh, a place with uh, a race with even higher stakes, right? Uh, because Francis had uh, kind of broken his journey down in Australia and around the world. Most people believed that a, a solo boater, a solo yachtsman, could not deal with all the problems you would face sailing by yourself for months and months on end. That's right. You need a team. There's a lot of mechanics that go into sailing, right? You got to tie the jib and hoist the the main and 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 all the, and the rudder someone has to man the rudder you know who who's to man the rudder if you're if you're tying the jib or the boom or what have you i'm making up all these terms but uh, uh it, it really does i can say for a fact that it is very helpful to have two individuals at the very least because there are separate locations for different very key parts of the sailing situation, especially if it's a yacht, which I think by its very nature would be larger than just a small sailboat, right? I mean, that's that's sort of the, the idea here. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough proposition, you know. Uh, however, again, the national mood was so bullish on this that nine sailors actually did step forward to compete for these prizes. The deal was this. They could set off any time before October 31st, and the first person home would take the honors, a Golden Globe, while the fastest one would also get 5,000 pounds. So the competitors are, are all pretty much, except for Donald, they're all pretty much well-known in the, in the yachting world. There are people like... Uh, Transatlantic oarsman Che Blythe and John Ridgway. And there's some veteran French sailors. There's an ex-merchant seaman. There's a well-known Italian sailor, two former naval officers. And then, of course, the, one of the latest entries was this uh, little-known electronics engineer from the West Country, Donald Crowhurst. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't really seen as a contender, uh, as whomever originally said that line in a film at some point in history about boxing might have said. Um, he was, you know, this kind of young upstart, uh, very uh, driven, uh, something seen as something of a romantic in search of making his name uh, and perhaps his nut. Uh, uh, because he, as as we know, was really out, out for, for cash. He needed uh, to save himself from bankruptcy because of his ill-fated attempts uh, at the, the, the Navigator, right? The Nav Remember that movie, Flight of the Navigator? 
No. I remember Fly of the Navigator. That's how it's pronounced. I'm sorry. I'm getting confused. Um, Crowhurst had to kind of con his way into uh, into the into the competition. He was able to persuade a local dealer, a caravan dealer, which I believe is sort of like- It's like uh, an RV. It's like an RV. That's yeah. right. Um, he was able to uh, convince him to uh, sponsor his entry, a guy by the name of Stanley Best, who also happened to be quite wealthy. Um, and he- commissioned uh, a boat for him. Uh, a Norfolk boatyard uh, built him a trimaran, not to be confused with a catamaran, which is more than tri. What is cat? Like four? What's a catamaran? Is that the one with the two, the two pieces? Like it's like two boats side by side connected in the middle with like a platform? I think that's what a catamaran is. I think so. Is. Like, uh, like the is that what? Yeah, it's kind of like what Kevin Costner had. No, no, a catamaran is two. Oh, a trimaran is three. And a trimaran is three. I'm trying to think of, you know, my favorite part of Waterworld, the Kevin Costner vehicle, which I know Casey adores, is uh, is the trimaran boat that the uh, the unnamed mutant drives. It just looks so awesome. I want to live on the sea in a trimaran. So once again, though, this really does show, I mean, this this does elevate it beyond just a sailing boat, right? This is, uh, you know, you, you can see these trimarans now associated with very luxurious yachts. They would be up high off the water, floating on these three um, kind of pillars, these three sort of canoe things with struts, mm -hmm. and then the, the, the deck of the yacht where you would, you know, sun and, you know, do whatever the, the wealthy do on yachts um, would be up high. Uh, but this would have been low to the water, right, with three, and then the center one would have been where the deck was. And where you have, like, a hull and stuff. Yeah, these things can pick up a lot of speed. Totally. Yeah, The uh, as a matter of fact, uh, as recently as December of 2019, there was a trimaran out attempting to break the world record for circumnavigation of the Earth. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool, I, yeah. I, I just remember, it was my dad's. I, I was a hand-me-down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something, you know? I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac, yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one, and that was a that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I meant I said El Camino, <laughs> and I meant Monte Carlo. I miss it so. Uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like, uh, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, 
Oh, man, and funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Here's where Crowhurst's story begins to take a, a, a little bit more of a tragic turn. So he can hear the clock ticking, tick-tock, 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 tick-tock. And he needs to seriously put this plan in action. He needs the rubber to hit the road, or should I say the trimaran to hit the water. He hires a publicist, a guy named Rodney Halworth. Halworth was what you would call in the world of writing a hack. He was a former crime reporter, and he fed Crowhurst in this fantasy life. And he said, Donald, you know, you're, you're, you're going to win. You're a dark horse. The public loves you. You've got to take this seriously. And he gets uh, – he, he kind of persuade – or not, not so much persuades him to take certain actions, but – makes his dream of winning the race increasingly feverish. The guy gets race fever. He mortgages his house and his business. And uh, this is a huge gamble because again, remember if you're a competitor, you have to be on the water sailing around the planet before the 31st of October. Some people have already left. This guy has a boat that he's never tried out. He's not super prepared. He doesn't have the equipment. He doesn't have the capital. He doesn't have the background. And you know what? If he loses, he also probably doesn't have a house. At least he has his boat. You know, he can always just live live on that and just on the on the deck. Um, but he'd probably get pretty bad sunburn. I heard he was kind of pasty. Uh, so yeah, I mean, he did test it out a little bit. Uh, what's called a sea trial. Um, he took it from East Anglia to uh, the West County um, of Ireland, where his wife was from, and um, uh, he called it the uh, the Tainmouth Electron, and it it really. Um, Poop the bed. 
as 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 we're wont to say on this show. Because as Ben says, we're a family show. Um, uh, but everybody poops, and, and and his boat absolutely did that thing. It underperformed. It did not deliver. What should have been a three day trip took two weeks. It was a real embarrassment and a real setback for uh, for our boy Crowhurst. Kind of like Gilligan's Island, right? Three hours. A three-hour tour. Turned into a whole lovely, you know, legacy of television. <laughs> right. Which I'm fine with. Yeah, yeah. Now, because of this, because of this delay, he's got no time to get all the uh, provisions he needs for his vessel, and he also has no time to give it all the proper equipment he needs. But he's up against the deadline. Again, tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. So he says, look— I've got to set sail with what I have now or I have to withdraw myself from the race, which means I'll embarrass myself publicly and there's no question about it. I will be bankrupt. I will be as broken as a joke without a punchline. So on the afternoon of October 31st, the very last day, the last possible moment he can leave, uh, he sets out and he has a false start at the beginning uh, he whispers famously to his son, look after your mother. And no one could anticipate how strange his voyage would become. Now, now we have to, we have to set the scene here too, right? Before we go on the race, it's very important to note that although Donald Crowhurst may have been underprepared, this was still a very difficult race. There were very few things you could do to prepare for this in such a way that it was going to be safe. It's the 1960s. There's no GPS. There are no satellites. You could maybe have a Morse code transmitter or something. You have to use a sextant when you're out in the open water. This is tough. You know what I mean? Uh, even if you're those very well-prepared veteran sailors, the other eight guys. Yeah, and I mean it was it was super old school because that's just what the school was, um, and and really the, the, your best bet was going to be to navigate using the stars and using those sextant calculations. Here's the thing: um, Donald never was really a contender in this race at all. Like he just he just wasn't competing. He never reached the Southern Ocean. Um, he had problems from the get go, and he just kept uh, falling further and further behind. Um, and he had to make a real decision. It was a real kind of come to Jesus moment where he had to decide to continue on and likely perish or go on back home um, and face financial ruin or societal humiliation, absolute uh, outcast type status. Um, because like we said, he had, he banked everything on this race. We had, we had locked all of his, uh, wealth of any kind into this race. Or. Right. There's a third way that he comes up with, right? Yeah. I mean, he was sort of by his very nature, kind of a fabulist. Uh, he was one who was not unused to big upping himself and being something of a carnival barking self-promoter. And he took some of those skills to the nth degree um, by fabricating reports uh, and, and an entire narrative behind this grand adventure that he was going to set out. Uh, he pretended to circumnavigate the globe, which was a big deal. 
to be able to claim that um, in those days. Still, still not as difficult as actually circumnavigating the globe, but it takes it. It does take some effort. This is where you know when when we're doing research for this. This is when uh, he started to remind me of the main character in Uncut Gems. It's just a, a, a escalating stakes, right. increasingly desperate. Uh, very, very few wins. Uh, but just a way to delay the losses. Exactly. Delaying the inevitability. Lies beget lies, and it all kind of spiderwebs out of control eventually. But, yeah, you know, if you're a guy like this who's got, I don't know, let's call it a positive attitude, for lack of a better term, um, you just kind of keep pushing forward in, in the hopes that if you don't pay attention to what's coming your way, maybe it'll never happen in, in terms of the negative stuff. Right, right. And so his his plan is, to uh, his plan is incredibly unethical. He's going to fake the race and he's going to lap these people. He's fallen far enough behind from what he can tell that it's not like these folks can see each other every day, right? So he says he's going to rejoin the race when they're on the way back and he thinks, I'm not going to be the first to arrive. Might not record the fastest time, but I am going to save face and ultimately I'll be able to save my house. Ben, really quickly, was the purpose of this race to circumnavigate the globe? Was that the idea? Yes. Okay. I'm sorry. I missed that part. And I acted like he was kind of going rogue and deciding to do his own thing. But I see now that that was a big part of the race. So we've got Robin Knox Johnson, who was a favorite. Uh, he came in first and he, you know, was the first to circumnavigate the world all by himself. Uh, then we had Nigel Tetley, uh, who came in a close second. Um, or looked like he was. That's right. He looked but, like he but, was. but then he, uh, he he would have potentially claimed the prize for the fastest time, but his she sank. Yep. Suddenly, yep. out of the clear blue sky, and then and then uh, and then was 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 pulled from the the watery jaws of death. And the rate of attrition in this race was pretty high. Uh, Crowhurst is the only other competitor left in the race, and it looks like because of that, he was going to get the uh, the prize for being the fastest. So he claimed the Golden Globe and become a national hero. I love this next line uh, in this Guardian article that we're following here. Um, the notion that so much of this was on the honor system. Right. Because of the lack of the technology, because of the lack of they were like follow vehicles or helicopters to prove that these uh, these men had, had, had actually c completed what they said they were going to. It was all paper logbooks and journal entries and, uh, you know, recording those uh, sextant measurements and the like. Right. Right. And and, and his would would really start to be uh, given a pretty close eye after after this happened because he was such a underdog and such a kind of upstart uh, in entry. But here's here's the twist. You see, they did find the logbooks. They did find the vessel, but they never found Donald Crowhurst. He never made it home. The Tainmouth Electron was found drifting, abandoned, Mary Celeste style. People found the books that charted his actual voyage along with the records uh, uh, that he was um, cooking up, the books that he had cooked, showing he made false claims about the speed of his vessel and that he had worked up a fake navigational account. There are also harrowing writings that show us his psychological state. The last page is the most ominous, comes from July 1st, 1969, and it had the following words. I have no need to prolong the game. It is finished. It is finished, all caps, it is the mercy. Ooh, that is kind of spooky. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, been, that last page had been torn out, uh, although the, his son, Simon Crowhurst, has this page. Uh, he thinks that the captain of the ship that found the electron ripped it because he thought it would be unbearable for the, the family to see, which makes sense. So he never came, he, he never got his accolades that he was seeking. Yeah, he he uh, technically would have because of all of the, the, the bad things that befell the other you know, entries into the race, but he did not cross the finish line. He just, he, he, he was lost at sea essentially, right? Yeah, he disappeared. And that's the thing that, you know, they've never found a body, never found any proof of what happened to him. Uh, when he, they were found, right? So we said his last, his last written account was July 1st. On July 10th, just nine days later, the Royal Mail vessel, the Picardy, finds the boat. It's, um, it's in the mid-Atlantic near the Caribbean. It's like a ghost ship, right? Exactly like a ghost ship. Uh, it was cluttered. There were dirty dishes. The The bed lining was filthy, but there was no sign of Crowhurst. And because he disappeared, because there was no closure, because this was a mystery, he became famous worldwide. And what happens when people become famous across the world for disappearing? They're seen everywhere. Elvis is still getting sighted. For Pete's sake. Totally. Yeah, and so the the captain of the Picardy, which was a, a Royal Mail uh, ship, um, hoisted uh, Crowhurst's uh, Electron Trimaran onto his ship and took it along with him. And that's when he started to read uh, the entries in those, those three um, different logbooks himself. And uh, this is, you know, everyone loves a good mystery. Everyone loves a good disappearance in the same way we talked about the Mary Celeste, that famous ghost ship that was found adrift and all of the different theories as to what happened to the uh, the uh, the crew of the Mary Celeste. Uh, this similarly got the public's imagination going running wild. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool, I, yeah. I, I just remember, it was my dad's, I, I was a hand-me-down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something, you know? I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac, yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, 
Oh, man, and funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This gets us to a, a painful, tragic point because, of course, there is a, uh, a search mission called, right? And people are attempting to find some sign of Donald Crowhurst. Uh, his children are puzzled because pretty soon, a few days after they find the stuff about the logbooks, the search is called off and they think, why is no one – why is no one looking for our father? And the reason they stopped the searches is because they solved the mystery. It was all there in those logbooks. It was clear as day. He had tried to perpetrate this hoax and failed. And 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 therefore probably just, you know, it wasn't so much an issue as to what did he fall overboard? What happened? You know, they they know that he was up to no good. And therefore, I guess it became less of a priority. Or what do you think, Ben? I think they... they figure the most likely cause was uh suicide but they didn't they didn't find the body and this is where this is where the sunday times does something that's um honestly i've used the word before in this episode but the sunday times themselves become a little unethical because they want to extract maximum publicity from this story so they send a reporter named Nicholas Tomlin to interview the captain of that Royal Mail vessel, the Picardy, and to inspect the Electron and to collect whatever he can find on board. And instead of getting some thrilling front page story of adventure on the high seas, they get this immensely tragic, heartbreaking tale of an amateur yachtsman who had fooled Fleet Street completely. Uh, but then Tomlin, being an expert reporter, turns this into a sensational tell-all scoop. And they started unraveling the mystery of the logbooks and published a book called The Strange Last Voyage of Donald Crowhurst, which today is considered the most comprehensive account of this tale. But it's by far not the only work of literature or film 
uh, that has been mentioned. It's in popular culture now. Yeah, and I think uh, Studio Canal is a, is a favorite uh, uh, production house of, uh, I think, Casey's as, as well as, as, as mine and Ben's, um, responsible for a lot of David Lynch's best work and a lot of French films. Um, they have put out two in 2018. Uh, I, ha- I haven't seen either of these and didn't see a lot of publicity about them, but one of them stars Colin Firth, and it's called The Mercy, and the other one is called Crowhurst, and stars Justin Salinger, who I'm, I'm not familiar with, but uh, very interested in seeing either of these because it really is a pretty harrowing story. It combines a lot of interesting things that we we talk about on the show from kind of just blind opportunism to just sort of uh, lack of self-awareness to, you know, adventure and fraud. <laughs> it's, just, it's, just, it's a recipe for a good story. So I'm definitely interested in checking out those two films from Studio Canal. And here's the thing. Personally, I don't know whether I will check those out. I'm conflicted because the family doesn't want the story told. And at this in in this specific instance, I don't know if I would I, I don't know how on board I would be because they changed details about the studio has changed details about something very personal for this family. They even cut one of the kids out of the story. In the film, there are three Crowhurst children instead of four. They cut one of the brothers. Um, and I know you have to make changes when you adapt stuff into fiction, but that's that's a problem. That does seem a little egregious, Ben. I'm with you on that. I'm just, I, do, I do like Colin Firth, and uh, the still that I see from this first one, The, the Mercy, seems pretty interesting. Uh, hopefully one of them or the other did a better job at sticking to the facts. But I guess it's true, too, that we don't know all of the facts um, because what we have is sort of a, a forged logbook, um, and it's sort of tough to know exactly what happened. And this brings us to the end of today's tale, but not the end of our show. Donald Crowhurst is one of many, many, many adventurers who have sailed across the world, off the edges of the proverbial or figurative map. Uh, we want to hear your stories of other uh, other adventurers or other mysterious disappearances. Uh, one that's a little more conspiratorial is that of Lord Lucan, uh, the, the uh, aristocrat who likely committed homicide and then escaped to live uh, in obscurity. He got away. I don't know about this one, Ben. I'll have yeah, look forward yeah, to talking yeah. about it with you and, and finding out some stuff myself. In the meantime, if you want to find out a little bit more about us, you can check our show out on all the social medias. We are Ridiculous History on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can check out our Facebook group, The Ridiculous Historians, just by going and answering a, a, a very simple questions, naming any of the members of the show team here, including the folks that we thank in the credits, uh, including any reference to anything re- related to the show, or just give us a, a good old chuckle with some kind of history-related pun or otherwise. Uh, you can also find us as individual human people on social media. I am on Instagram exclusively at How Now Noel Brown. You can contact me a variety of ways. Uh, my name is Ben Bullen. I always love to hear from you. You can say my name three times in a mirror in the dark, or you can find me on Instagram where I'm at Ben Bullen, or you can find me on Twitter where I'm at Ben Bullen HSW. Thanks, as always, to super producer Casey Pegram. Thanks to our 
great composer, Alex Williams, and of course, our top-notch research associate, Gabe. Thanks to Christopher Hasiotis here, as always, in spirit. Jonathan Strickland, uh, who now exists in two forms. He is the quizster, uh, first and foremost in my mind, but I still have to listen to these episodes, but he's also been a lovely stand-in uh, guest host for the show um, as his non-evil, non-bizarro world uh, self, which I can also appreciate. Oh, yeah. Good note on Night Soil. Ask people to name the best slash worst songs to play when you're in the restroom in a delicate position and don't want people to hear you. Uh, so thanks to everybody on Ridiculous Historians who's written in with their uh, sometimes wonderful and sometimes just frankly disturbing suggestions. And as always, Ben, thanks to you for being a pal and a confidant. Back at you. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello! Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.